no one will know you as best as you know yourself. So you really need to spend time making sure that you, and part of knowing yourself is knowing the things that you actually possess, knowing the passions that are inside of you, um, the things that matter to you, why does it matter? And if it really matters, are you ready to take action, right? And then you start looking. Like me, you know, I speak specifically as a person of faith because that's huge for me. I pray all the time. I'm asking God for wisdom, discernment, guidance constantly. And I know I have to do my part. You know, I have to act. You can't just pray and just think God's going to just pop up. He needs you to show your faith by you doing something and stepping out when you don't have all the resources, but you feel that it's right and, and you're trusting he's going to be with you. Hello, everyone. My name is Walter Gaynor II, and I'm the host of Boss Lux, where we are redefining professionalism and proving that natural hair and professionalism do coexist. Now, today, I have the honor of having a special guest with me. We have Kenny Henry, a.k.a. the King Connector. So, Kenny, how are you doing? Doing awesome, brother. Thanks for having me, man. Happy Friday. <laughs> Happy Friday, man. Happy Friday. Yeah, and I'm, I'm really excited to have you on. Um, I already told you before, but I really appreciate all the support since... We just started um, like from the beginning. Um, so I really appreciate you just kind of consistency. And I love everything you're doing with your platform. And for um, those who don't know, uh, Kenny is a life coach, sociologist, and he spends his day basically empowering people to connect the docs in their life, to connect their personal to business goals. And he's also a really cool entertainer. I mean, he has a lot in the works that I won't mention yet because I don't think it's been released yet. But um, he uses this platform to spread joy, but also brings a lot of real issues to light. And he just one of those type of people who, while he is still kind of in the spotlight, there's a lot of work behind the scenes. So, um, Kenny, I have a lot of questions to ask you, but I always like to start off by knowing what are the three things that most people don't know about you? Ooh, ooh, ooh. Uh, let's see. I'm pretty transparent here. Uh Ah, gosh, you know, well, I think, you know, well, I can't even say that because there's so many people that know that's a, honestly, that's a very difficult one for me. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm pretty, you know, open, you know, there's, but I think that the thing for me is, is that there is, there's, it's compartmentalized where there's people, like there's some people who have absolutely no clue that I song, write and sing, you know, and, and do music and no clue. Right. And then mm-hmm. a lot of people that do know that. Right. Then there's a lot of people that don't know that I'm involved, you know, in the anti-human trafficking movement. But then there's a lot of people that do know that. So when I think about my life, um, and I'm very, very vocal about being a Southern boy born and reared in Louisiana. Uh, you know, for definitely, I love, love that. I'm proud of that. Um, yeah, I, I really honestly can't think of anything. I mean, in my hobbies, um, I love languages. I, like I said, I love the music. I love dancing. And again, there's a big group that know I love dance, especially salsa dancing, you know. <laughs> but, oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, not doing that, but I love that. I've been doing that for years. And I actually, but I think, okay, one thing a mo- majority of people don't know is that I actually was in a, uh, a group, a salsa dance group at one point in my life where we went around and uh, traveled in. For, for different events and things like that. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. That's pretty cool. I know uh, when I was in college, there was this, well, my college was like in the middle of nowhere. So anytime I wanted to do something, really I had to like travel. But there was this um, Blacksburg, which is like 60 minutes away from us. They had this like salsa night on, I think it was like Tuesdays. So you would like drive after school, like 
60 minutes just to go salsa do the thing and then come back afterwards um one i'm not good at it but you know if you ever need a backup i could do just i could do the basic moves in the background or something like that i love it (laughs) man what what got you into salsa dancing you know, it's interesting. So uh, in Louisiana, so in our culture, you know, uh, the queer culture, we have zodical dancing. So zodical dancing is a partnership dancing, um, and it's very up-tempo, and it's partnership, mm-hmm. right? But it's just, it's literally, um, you know, washboards, you have drums, guitars, all that. Um, and so I was already kind of used to, it, you know, that dancing. And then when I got to college, um, I befriended two girls from Texas. And uh, one was, you know, a um, black girl, one was a, uh, I don't know if she's from Mexico, but she's Latin. And so they were best friends. And they knew, the, you know, the salsa world. And I remember there was a song out, and I believe it was by Eve. I can't think of what, what that song was, but it had like an element of, uh, of salsa feel in it. Mm-hmm. And I remember I started watching them and that song came on. We were at this uh, club everyone went to near the university. And they got on the floor and just started doing that. And I'm like, man, what is that? And I fell in love with it. So they started showing me. And then um, I end up, you know, as I continue to travel, um, you know, when I travel, but like, you know, through navigate through college, another good friend of mine started dating a Dominican guy. And his family would go to um, this hotel every Sunday night. It was a Hilton, no, Marriott. And they had a big salsa night. That was uncommon at the time, you know. Mm-hmm. So I went. And I'm like, wow, it's this huge world of all these people coming together doing it. And so I started really learning there. And uh, from that point on, man, I just, I never stopped. And when I got to LA, after graduating college, I went to college again there. And of course it was all over the place. So, I mean, right away I connected, I did different groups that we just started going to all these clubs and yeah. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. There's something about the salsa club. It's just like fun. It's just the hours kind of go by. It's just like its own Good kind of field. Yeah, it's it, it, it's community. It's you know, and it's and, I, and our zodiacal dancers are very very similar to that. It's uh, it resonates with me because it's all about community. So it's all the people there, and you can dance with anyone. You, you know, people dance with other people's girl, wives, husband. It's and it's no drama. It's just it's community. It's mm. fun. It's respectful. You know, that's cool. Exotico dance. I pronounced it right. Exotico. Zodico. Yeah. Zodico. E-Y-D-E-C-O. Yeah, look it up on YouTube. You'll see. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to check it out. I'm going to check it out. I'm going to practice some moves, and I'm going to look forward to <laughs> coming to your hometown and do it. That's cool. So, um, and you said um, you're from Louisiana. Can you tell us a little bit about your hometown? Yeah, Lake Charles is a phenomenal little hometown. Uh, it's called Lake Charles, and it is uh, sits on a lake, you know, definitely. And, of course, it's in uh, Louisiana, so it's, it's below sea level. <laughs> All <laughs> right. Uh, but the culture, you know, it's just great, man. Um, it, it's a very, uh, it's always been a very safe, you know, city, um, very cultured, uh, a rich, very rich history, um, you know, and it still is part of the Creole um, uh, region. Because, you know, mm-hmm. you have there, then you have Lafayette about 45 minutes away, and then all the little cities in between, and then all the way up to New Orleans. Um, but it's just such a rich culture. And uh, and just growing up there, you know, especially like I tell folks in the time that I did as a black man, it was a blessing because, you know, at that point, you know, you have so many people that, you know, because the South was oppressed as long as they also advanced the fastest for blacks because of civil rights and all that, which is where, you know, you have most of your historical black universities are there. So by the time I, I came up, I mean, I already have people's grandpas, dads, uh, you know, moms, aunts. I have people in my family that were 
attorneys, law enforcement, judges. I mean, oh, really? nurses, doctors, my family doctor was always black. I mean, that's the world I knew. I didn't know any other world. So for me, it was like, okay, so I was never questioning my mind that whatever I wanted to do, you know, I could do because I saw all these representations of me in so many different sectors, right? And so, um, yeah, and then I didn't realize until becoming an adult when you travel out, especially when I went to LA, I was like, whoa, okay, their story is different. I get it, you know? And at first it was tough, but then I started realizing, yeah, they're growing up, they're not seeing all of this. And even to graduate high school, uh, you know, and all my schools, mind you, all my elementary, junior high, and high school, all black schools, and all not just black schools, black magnet schools. And so um, education was always like a cool, it was cool. <laughs> you know, right. it, was it was cool to be, you know, to, to have a high GPA at the end of the year. It's like whether you play sports, the, the band, whatever it was. Um, and I just think we didn't realize what we had. And it was also mandatory to take African-American history and literature in order to graduate. You couldn't just do American history. And that's another thing that, again, naive, I thought everybody was getting all over the world. Until I could get out, I become an adult and <laughs> realize, no, unless they choose to go to college and, and, and study that, no, then I get. And I think, wow, what a, I, then that's something that must change because in America we are a melting pot. And I know what that did for me. And I, it's like I couldn't imagine not having that now. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. Things and I, and kind of just fast forward. Um, I spent time in D.C. for a thing. I had to do a presentation for the federal government on human trafficking because I'm actually one of the original 12 members of the first Human Trafficking Leadership Academy. And we happened to be there the same um, weekend that they were celebrating their anniversary, the year anniversary of the African American Museum, History Museum. And uh, we got That's in. That's pretty cool. With no, you got it? Nice. We got in, and when I tell you, it was just because of God, because we, I mean, they, they were booked till the next year. But mm. a friend of mine that was part of my court, she went, stood out there, and she was there the first person in the morning. Like, it was, I don't even know if the sun was out. And at eight o'clock, she called, hey, the guy, you know, I built a friendship with one of the guys who work here. And he said, he'll let us in. You know, he loves our story, what we're here to do. If it's just us three, if you can make it here, I said, I'm there. I jumped up, you know, got a lift and went straight there. But in there, I realized, and she's, you know, a black girl from Oakland, California. As we're going through this tour, and it's very impressive, shall I say, this thing, if you've never gone, you need to go. It's the most beautiful museum I've ever seen my eye, laid my eyes on. I've ever, you know, just experienced. It's gorgeous. And they did it so wonderfully and it was so well thought out. But, um, and as you're going through and seeing the different stories, there was so much. And she's a smart girl, but there was so much she didn't know. She didn't understand. And so I found myself on this tour kind of explaining history, you know, to her. And these are things that I learned at like, honestly, 16, 17 years old because I had to take African-American history and literature. And that opened my mind up to go after real history, you know, all that time. And so mm-hmm. uh, now imagine her as a woman, a grown woman, now just learning this stuff. And she, she broke down a lot of, you know, cried in this thing. And so I, you know, we have such a, uh, you know, that, that's where I come from. And that's why I love, uh, I'm so grateful. You know, was it perfect? No, was there, you know, there was a lot of resources we didn't have, uh, but, at the same time, when I think about those important, rich things we had, I'm grateful, man. I'm very grateful. Yeah, blessing. Uh, blessing. I have never heard of that. A school, like a, was this high school or middle school? High school. A high school requiring students to learn African-American yeah. history. Mm-hmm. And that's really. And literature, take both. 
both of them. Wow, that is very. In you said that was an all black magnet school. Yeah, got you. Very interesting. Yeah, that really is a blessing because now, like for I know for me, that's well, one I didn't. Actually, here's a question for you. Um, during that time, um, you growing around just a lot of black people who are doctors, uh, lawyers, and all these jobs that you don't usually see people have. Um, when you were studying African American history, um, was it something that was kind of exciting and shocking to you, or it was just like you were just taking a, another class? No, it was very exciting, uh, and I and I and I saw it very exciting for pretty much all of us, you know, because mm -hmm. it was something that we related to and it told history from another side because you have to realize at the same time we were still taking American history. So we were seeing that there were some discrepancies going on and it was like, you know, in American history, it was always put to favor, you know, Caucasians. Let's just be 100% right, right? Yes, it touched on slavery, but it never went into details and things of that nature. Um, and it definitely didn't highlight a lot of, uh, you know, of, of uh, showing a lot of black resiliency and things to be proud of the slaves. It shows slaves are strictly, you know, victims and 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 helpless and and hopeless and all that, right? Until Abraham Lincoln, a white man, decided to free them now and and you know give them opportunity. So, for um, yeah, we were very excited, and I remember uh, seeing people excited. That to be honest with you, they weren't excited about almost any uh, <laughs> of their classes. <laughs> But in that class, they were very excited and they loved to, to talk about that. And then, you know, our teachers would give us opportunity, you know, you know, to allow yourself to go there in your mind and, and think about the things that were going on at the time. You know, what would your mental state be? What would your emotional state be? You know, do you think you would have conformed? Or I think about being not the slave that were brought from and kidnapped there. How about the slave that was born into it? So when you mm -hmm. came, that's all you knew. So it was normal for you, right, which changes your mentality. So we got a chance to go really, really deep and uh, and really and get a connection, have a connection to to our ancestors there. Uh, and, yeah, there was a lot of it evoked emotion. It, you know, that we were angry sometimes. Sometimes we were, you know, very dis disheartened. We were, um, you know, and then we were very hopeful at the same time. You know, like, oh, man, that turn, I would have been a part of that revolt. Man, yeah, we just took them out. This would have been our plan here. And <laughs> it's like, okay, hold on. We'll get top, you know, to, but you know, there's the, the excitement, but it, the beautiful thing is there was not of what you see when you don't have that. There wasn't this big gap of generations. Like even though it was here we were in this 20th century, we were still able to connect with our ancestors back there. And there was a, 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 a energy and a spirit of, of pride that we had, you know, also for, for mm -hmm. uh, enduring that stuff and going through that for us. And then we were sad for them at the same time. Oh, yeah. All right, man. You brought up a lot of good points there. Um, I think one, people really do not teach the resiliency part of it. Um, the way I know just I grew up in Charleston, oftentimes the outcome when people learn about slavery is that people were better off as slaves compared to afterwards during that period of segregation and well, up until like the Civil Rights Act. A lot of people um, basically have the understanding like, oh, yeah, they didn't know how to do anything. They were helpless couldn't do anything but in all reality there are so many um yeah. i mean just from the resilience there's so much like creativity that comes from there as well and inventions and yeah. all sorts of things yeah, yeah. and you know, and this is what i'm saying so we you know like they built things they weren't just there they built things and most of the things that we were saying they were the ones building that right mm -hmm. and these skills were passed down that they had of arithmetic and all these different things that came down 
uh, a lot of inventions were happening at that time. They got no absolute no credit for it. that was taken because they were like, well, let's find a better way. They were, yeah, they were trying to, in a lot of cases, trying to please the uh, the slave master, but you know, also they were trying to make it easier on themselves by inventing certain things that would help them or whatever. Uh, but of course, they get no no credit for that. Um, so, like one of the things I forgot now talking to you, okay, this is something that uh, a lot of people don't know uh, that I do is because we just kicked it off. But uh, me and a good friend, Dr. Nisa McNeil, she is an educator and an activist, and she, you know, helped just help with schools that have created schools in Ghana, um, South Africa, Haiti, um, like she, a lot of different places, and she is huge on that. Um, but we got to talking because she has a, a radio show, a more radio show based out of L.A., and she asked me in April to be her co-host for three days to talk about, um, you know, child sex abuse and that kind of thing. And so I did that. And in that last meeting, we started speaking about uh, stories of black folk, you know, our stories, you know, that how we are original or um, we, we are storytellers. That's that's our as a people from Africa. That's who we are. That's how we educate. And I've always done that. And then how that was brought over. And so she like me, and grew up the same way around grandparents, extended family, a lot of the elders, and she grew up in Alabama. So we got a lot of the same stuff, both grew up in that Baptist church, you know, and so we got a lot of the same stuff and we got to talking and our stories were so parallel. So um, we both was like, yeah, man, that's what's missing today is the storytelling. Mm. The storytelling and, 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 and why we have such a uh, disconnect with the young generation and the old. And it's because we have stopped being committed to storytelling, right? And we've stopped uh, evolving our storytelling to where it's relevant to them and it's exciting to them. I remember sitting at the feet like, man, I just want to, and I want to know the rest of the story. Well, what happened here? And then what happened there? Right. Because, you know, when you're young, that's when that imagination is so wide and open. So what we decided to do, long story short, is start a radio show on Saturday. So we do it every Saturday morning. Um, at 11 a.m. and it's called the stories of black folk and we tell different stories so uh the first show actually kicked off on juneteenth we decided to do oh, it because nice. it was symbolic and it just so happened i was here in in texas at the time so it was awesome uh but we basically um, that's what we do is we tell stories and so last saturday she read um our slave narrative um and then after that she wrote she read one that was um that was a little bit more uh, closer to today. And then I came on top of that and did Madam C.J. Walker's story. And then I did Tyler Perry's story. So we kind of go through um, the time to make it relevant to everyone. But these stories of like hope and what was going on, what these people built, this great, great, um, it's not it's strong resiliency, but it, it's also assuring what they're, what they're able to do in spite of being oppressed, in spite of the climate at the time, right? And so, um, and now look at where we're at now with Tyler Perry, who has the hugest, the, the biggest studio in the entire America, probably world, and on a Confederate place, a place that wanted to keep slaves, just where soldiers lived and fought, that wanted to keep black people enslaved, and now he owns that entire property as a black man. You see what I'm saying? So it's just, mm -hmm. well, that's, that's our whole goal, is to create stories to give the generation hope, and to show not only, look what you come from, look the stock you're made of, but imagine what you could do and all through storytelling. That's so true. That is so true. That's very important too. Like, um, I mean, just like you said with Tyler Perry, like not only does he have that studio that is, I think, yeah, it is bigger than all the other studios in America at least, um, but it's 
also a studio that a lot of people are using. Like, I think a lot of people don't know that the Democratic, uh, mm-hmm. um, the debates were held. Right. Well, one of them were held at Tyler Perry Studios. Yeah. Um, Mar- Marvel's used it for, um, I think, two movies, mm-hmm. at least two movies. And so it's not just that he has it and it's there and it's used for black films. It's used by everyone. So um, I think it was the Miss, I believe it's the Miss, uh, Either Miss Universe or uh, Miss, but one of the the one that just happened in December, it was there. Oh, really? I didn't realize that. Absolutely, man. man. There's so there's so many stories to tell. It's like it's like hard to choose which one. Right. Um, right. So yeah, decided we're having this platform to tell stories because we get to every week, you know, choose different stories, and I'm excited about the one that I'm doing on this Saturday. Uh, I don't want to give it away, but it's a female. And uh, it's just, it sh- there's so many levels to her story, man. And I think right now, the climate is definitely needs to hear that. Definitely. I definitely need to. So I'm excited to share it. That's nice. Okay. That's nice. When this is published, we'll make sure we uh, plug the links in. Absolutely. Uh, so people can tune in. That's really cool. Yeah. That's really cool. Now, um, speaking of Tyler Perry, I think one thing that's cool that you're doing with your platform is you know, working with some of the actors from the show to kind of give recaps and everything and right. um, of the show, The Oval, which is Tyler right. Perry's. And I haven't seen it yet. And I honestly haven't really thought about it because I don't have BET. But after seeing like one of your recaps, I was like, okay, maybe, maybe I should check it out. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so, one, can you tell us um, a little about what The Oval is, a quick summary, and then how you kind of got involved with that? Sure. Yeah. So, The Oval is uh, one of Tyler Perry's new a drama series that is on BET, which is another great thing that he partnered with BET and BT Plus um, to, you know, continue to put, you know, his stamp on it. But also this is partnering, this is an alliance being built to further strengthen that platform. And so that's a really important, powerful piece there. But also, uh, you know, it's it, it, he, he, he did that one and um, Sisters. So Sisters, those are two dramas that came out the same time on last year. And on BT and uh, the Oval, which is so great, what came within I think the first three weeks, if I'm not mistaken, was mm-hmm. number one drama on cable TV, which was amazing. Get out! I did not know that. Yeah, and what shows? And he even came out and did an uh, Instagram video just sharing. With the, I guess the day he heard about when he found out, and he just did like a really, you know, just organic uh, video. I think from right there in his home or maybe at the studio, and just sharing his gratitude. But the Oval is just about uh, the first family. The first family was about a president and his wife. Um, the president's wife, the wife is black. They have uh, biracial children. Um, and it's all these staff. There's, you know, different races that work within the White House uh, and all these different positions. And it's the cool thing about it is it's not about politics, but it's mm-hmm. about the lives of the people involved. So, like, you know, you're getting like, yeah, that's true. Yeah, you have the press secretary. You have... The, the Secret Service, what are they life like when they when they go home? Oh, yeah, they do have maids. And, what you know, what's their life like? You know, they work in the White House and dealing with all this stuff. And they're seeing these intimate parts of their lives. And when they go home, you know, what are their lives like? And that's what um, is so cool about the, the, the way he chose to showcase this show. It's about the lives of the president and, like, the dysfunction of him and the first lady. And uh, the president with his sex addiction and cheating and, you know, and then the children growing up in all this adversity. And so they're having each their own issues, but still have to look the part and smile and uh, those kind of things. And it's about money. It's about power. It's about the seat. It's about, 
resiliency. It's about it's a lot of things going on in that uh, in that series, man. But yeah, so I got involved because uh, two of my dear dear friends are uh, part of the cast, and so um, of course uh, you know the way we are, well, because we're all from the same city, and uh, you know we're very loyal to each other in in that way. And so uh, my goal was like, okay, well, whatever I can do to kind of support or whatever, um, that's what I was going to do. And, uh, and that means if that means, you know, turning people on to the show, whatever. But then one of my good friends that's uh, part of the show actually talked to me and was like, yeah, so are you going to do recaps, you know, on your show? And uh, I hadn't thought about that, to be honest, you know, because I was just mm-hmm. thinking we interviewed inspirational folks, period, you know. Um, right. But now, like, whoa. And uh, we thought about it, talked about it, and decided, yeah, let's do it. And so I started doing the recaps. And then that evolved because of COVID into these Instagram um, chats with each of uh, every Wednesday before the show comes on, I do a different interview with a different cast member from the show. And, you know, and all it is is just asking him, you know, like basically even what is it like to work with Tyler Perry? You know, um, how do you resonate with the character that you're playing or don't resonate with them? Um, how did life prepare you for this? You know, those kind of things. And I try, my main goal for that is that people will, when they look at them now, after they have experienced them on this IG chat, that now when they see them on anything, you know, whether it's the Oval or any other project they're working on a movie, like I know um, Logic who plays Donald, you know, he actually got cast and he plays um, Smokey Robinson in uh, uh, the uh, Aretha Franklin. Uh, oh, wow. Yes, and that's coming out in December on Christmas, actually. And so, oh, nice. yeah, so it's like, you know, when people see him, they, I want them to have a, a more of a connection. Like, you don't know, you know, Kenny may play this evil dude, you know, on the show, but Kenny's, I like, he's really cool, man. He, you know, he does a lot for community or he's a very fun guy, but he just plays his characters really well. He's evil as hell on the camera. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that kind of thing. And, and it's organic and fun. Um, and so, you know, the show ends this Wednesday night coming up the 22nd and they're going to do a two hour finale. And so that ends the season one. And, uh, you know, I have uh, two interviews committed. I'm trying to get another one as well. So we can have three to start with a bang. And then they're going to start filming, I think, within a week or two for season two. So, I, and I love it. And, oh, wow. and I love what Tyler does as a whole. He gives a lot of actors that don't have big names yet, but they've been working. And they've been working, working. And you follow them. Most of them have been working for a long time. They've been part of all kinds of different productions from stage to TV to you name it. Um, and he gives them opportunity to shine and show what they're made of. And I love that. Mm-hmm. He does. He does. And Tom Perry is so interesting because um, I know just for like such a long time, I think a lot of people and myself included were kind of turned off. Um, but I think it's more so like that was like the only representation we had. And it wasn't even that. It was just how other people saw it. Uh-huh. And it just kind of caused us to feel the type of way. But now when you have all these different um different forms and types of representation all over the place, different types of the culture, different people. It's, it's kind of, um, kind of, I know for me, I've been able to kind of look back at Tyler Perry's work throughout the years and just be like, wow, okay, that really is kind of amazing. I get to look at it in a new light. And kind of like you said, like he really does put people on a really cool career path. Like there's so many people, I think we don't even realize who kind of started off in a Tyler Perry play or a right. TV show or movie. Absolutely. It's really cool. It's interesting. I, I was uh, told you I was getting my uh, dreads uh, tightened up and retouched. <laughs> yeah, they look nice, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. And I was my uh, my good friend daughter. Uh, she was doing my hair. And, you know, she's a college, college student here over in Texas. And uh, 
so we're watching uh i think it was have a getaway or murder and, mm. and there was uh is it the same it was it the same show i think there were yeah i know for sure there's a guy on there but there may have been two people on there but for sure this guy and i was like he kept he just looked familiar and then, I, then it hit me i was like oh he was on the Tyler Perry movie at such and such. And she was like, wait, what, really? And I was like, yeah. I was like, yeah, a lot of people don't know that. And oh, oh, and I, yeah, it was How to Get Away with Murder because Viola Davis. I said, yeah, I said she was on um, Tyler Perry's movie as the street preacher um, who was trying to save the prostitutes. And I think that was Medea Goes to Jail with Keisha McKnight. That was, you know, oh, yeah. And she's like, oh my God, are you serious? I, said, I didn't even know that. And I'm like, yeah. And now, you know, and so, a lot of people don't realize how he, you know, he will continue his platform when he finds he's the what he sees as great talent and great potential. He will put people do his part with his platform to get them, you know, out there. And so, um, that's what I love. And I think even with the dear character, you know, I knew people had issues, and I'm like, well, I don't see the issue. I'm like, because it is, it's true. He's being raw. He's showing a form of the culture, right? Like he, this is his life. This is his story. Everybody's stories matter. And he's mm-hmm. in people from his life, grandma, mom, and aunt, and put them all into this one person, Medea. And that was his experience. So we can't say that's his culture. But also he challenged people with that because, you know, you have to, if you're educated, you know, and just you don't have to have a college degrees, but just have any kind of common sense. You're going to know if you live for some time, there's cultures within cultures. So does Medea represent all black women? Uh, absolutely not. If you if you are a culture, you would know there's so many different types within, right? As as in every other race. But he challenged that, and so when people would have an issue, I'm like, oh, what, what's what's the issue, right? Because it was obvious that a lot of people resonated with it because that was how Medea is how he was able to build that empire to now do everything he's doing and bless people. And this is why I say, even if we don't resonate with something, because I don't resonate with everything. But, you know, at the same time, I, I, I go objectively and I'm like, OK, let's think of the things. How can this benefit or how is it benefiting in other ways? And I mean, I may not even understand it, to be honest with you. But um, I do know if they feel genuine about this and it's their experience, I need to honor that. I don't have to agree or whatever, but I got to honor that because this is this person's experience. And if they're not trying to hurt anybody, then you got me. You got my support. You know, <laughs> if you're trying to uplift and help in any way, you got mine. Go ahead. You know, I don't know if I can help in this way because I don't get it. But what you but whatever I can do, like, please, you know, and I think that's the kind of mindset. Um, I think that's what he's shown people. He's definitely shown people that. And now people are starting to like, wow, OK, we get it. And they're seeing, OK, now he has the resources and things to show everything else that's in here where he didn't have that opportunity before. You know, um, and that's what made him go to uh, Atlanta. If you listen, he talks about that and started because he's like, you know, Hollywood never got me. They didn't understand. Mm-hmm. And, um, they didn't get what I was trying to do. And so, um, you know, I, I know it's there and the deal proved it's there and uh, I'm going to do more. And that was always his mindset. I'm going to do more. And everybody who works with that man is like, I mean, they all just talk about how much family He's all about family. And he's able to do that with so many people. And um, I think that's a beautiful thing. It speaks a lot about, you know, him. So we have a lot of great people out there like that in the culture. That's that's really making a difference in a powerful powerful way. Yeah. You know what you were saying and just talk about the Tyler Perry story. It actually reminds me of uh, Jay-Z. Because I remember there, I forgot what song it was. But one song he was like... Like, truthfully, I want to rap like Common Sense, but he made, like, five mil having rap like Common Sense. 
Right. And he also says farther down the line that basically his goal is to like, like he is going after this money right now, but that's because he's going to build something that's going to do something a little bigger right. um, later on. And some people like it's, I, I'm looking forward to kind of 10 years down the road so we could finally see what Jay-Z was doing like right now. Cause I know there's a lot of things that we often don't see, but it's really yeah. that, um, those kind of like what you mentioned before, different types of resilience. Sometimes it's just to stay true to what you believe in, even if it's your own culture who's saying no, right. no. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. you have to, you have to. You gotta take, you know, it's it's inside you for a reason. And trust me, the right people are gonna get it. It's never the wrong thing for the right people. And, and you have to look at it. True, man. Now, kind of hearing you speak, I think it's really interesting, all the different things that you're a part of. And it seems to kind of fit in, I don't know exactly how it all connects, but I think it's really interesting. And it seems as though you're able to do things that kind of matter to you and be in groups, meetings, and interviewing people with stories that yeah. kind of connect to hope, like your radio show, um, the work you're doing with the sex trafficking, there's all these different things. You're like, it's like you're, it's almost like you have like a really cool agent who's like picking these really <laughs> nice projects for you. Yeah, it's, I'm the, well, I'll say God's my agent. That's what my, that's what my head agent is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the truth. Great, that's the truth. Yeah. So I wonder, because um, I feel like a lot of people sometimes, how does this you come up? I know I do sometimes, but like, how do you know when to say yes to certain things versus when to say no? I think that's a very good question. And that's what, um, you know, my life coaching, you know, I have, and I think it's very imperative for everyone to be this way. You know, no one will know you as best as you know yourself. So you really need to spend time making sure that you, and part of knowing yourself is knowing the things that you actually possess, knowing the passions that are inside of you, um, the things that matter to you. Why does it matter? And if it really matters, are you ready to take action, right? And then you start looking like me, you know, I speak specifically as a person of faith because that's huge for me. I pray all the time. I'm asking God for wisdom, discernment, guidance constantly. And I know I have to do my part. You know, I have to act. You can't just pray and just think God's going to just pop up. He needs you to show your faith by you doing something and stepping out when you don't have all the resources, but you feel that it's right and and you're trusting he's going to be with you. You have to like he's going to let you know. Right. He conspires that universe to work in your favor. He lets you know, um, and you can't get excited about every little thing that seems like an opportunity. You have to really know, does this make sense right now? Okay, and maybe it makes sense, but is it the right timing? Okay, right now I have this. Like, take it always back to being responsible. What is the right thing to do? What is the priority right here? And it doesn't mean, and trust me, if it's for you, then it'll be there when it's time or whenever you, you go back to get it. Sometimes things are a test. So we can't just get excited about everything. Like, and, you know, I'm definitely that person when someone comes, I'm like, oh, you know, a lot of people are like, what? That would be a great opportunity. I'm like, uh, yeah, but have you, you know, thought about I'm doing this, I have this and this and that. And then what's going to happen here? I, I cannot, this is important to me, you know, social injustice and this story. I'm not going to just give this up for this because it's so awesome, but it's temporary. So, you know, it's things like that. You have to figure out how to manage yourself and, you have to know. And, and this whole thing, with um, which I don't agree with, and I've said that multiple times on multiple platforms, when they said, you know, um, jack of all trades, master or none. I, I don't believe in that at all. What it is, is that it, in the way of you, we all have different gifts and things that we've been sent here with, right? And so with these gifts, you 
what are you going to do? Just focus on one and just let the other ones just die? And right? No, I think that God has a, it's, it's a reason. He wants you to be able to use them all. But this is where wisdom is so, so important. Now, can I realistically use all of them at the same time, given the same energy and intensity? Absolutely not. I'm one person. But I can look at how he's conspiring the universe. And Kate, so well, guess what? The songwriting for right now just needs to get put on hold as, as far as trying to book appointments, going to the studio. And I need to focus right here. This is where he's opening up these doors. Because look how easy and peaceful he's making this right here. And we make it mm. right. And then I get a little downtime. Oh, maybe I can, oh, you know, I'm inspired. Let me write something. But that doesn't mean I'm putting all my focus here. I'm still just keeping it, you know, going here. So the radio, so so you're able to to do it. And what do I do? I write about the stuff that I believe and live. So if I'm over here writing about, oh, you know, money, you know, women and, you know, those kind of things. Well, that is not authentic to my life and who I am. So you'll never see me write about that stuff. Right. If I write about that, it's a, it's a love song. Right. It's, and, and in that song, trust me, it's going to be about if it was a rough time, it's about some healing at the same time. <laughs> right. You know, you see mm-hmm. the, the, the voice for you know, awareness and education for the anti-human trafficking. You know, also having the mentorship program, but teaching all these things how to be empowered. And so you don't become a victim of human trafficking. So you don't get pulled into that life of being a trafficker yourself and those kind of things, right? Um, the stories of Black folk is the same empowering of, of race of people, of being resilient, empowering them and things of that nature. Um, so for me, that's it. I just, I make everything work because it has to be authentic. You can't, you're never going to pull me out of my lane. And I've had opportunity different times in my life. You know, even to sing with someone that were, that was rapping about something I completely don't believe in. And I'd say, well, that's not going to work. Our brands are completely different. I mean, I think you're very talented, but our brands are very different. Well, no, but you can sing, you can write your own part. <laughs> say, yeah, but no, because that when that song is one, you know, one piece, right? And so mm-hmm. people want to say, well, Kenny condones what he's rapping about because he's singing on there, Right. So good for you was good for you because you get that audience and you get an audience. Oh, he's not, he's not that bad of a guy. But for me, I said, so no, it's, it's contradicting. It's hypocritical. And, um, you know, and now that's a perfect number one by far. And I'm not trying to say that at all. However, you have to do your best to try to stay as authentic as you can and uh, to not, you know, be a hypocrite in that way. And so, um, yeah, that, that's, you just make, I make it all work, man, you know, and you just go with the universe. And where is it taking you right now? And that's it. Hmm. Interesting. So kind of, um, it's interesting. I like what, I like your, uh, you presenting that other side of it, because I think we always hear the jack of all trades, master of none. And I think you're right. I guess um, there are a lot of opportunities presented to people that come in different forms, but they'll kind of take you in different journeys. So it's kind of interesting. And so are you, kind of saying that we should not necessarily focus on like, oh, we're kind of doing too much or staying in one lane, but more so just like what's kind of important to you and just following the path wherever it takes you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Think about it. You know, I have, you know, I got my uh, first degree in broadcast journalism and sociology, right? And then I moved five months later to California to go to fashion business school. Oh, wow. As soon as I finished, what did I do? I started working in the fashion, and that's what I went there for. Manufacturing office. Um, I worked in buying offices, um, you know, and those kind of things. And then after a while, I said, you know what? I want to break from this because I started feeling it. I, although I was making good money, I felt not at peace. Something was off. Something was, and I couldn't put my hand on it. I prayed. I prayed. I was 
you know, I felt like I was balancing life, but what I realized is I was, I needed to be helping folks, helping people, you know, in the, in the, the people business. And so I ended up taking a major pay cut and going completely opposite. And I went to foster homes, <laughs> managing oh, wow. foster homes where, you know, be abused and neglected kids live and managing, you know, staff and growing and growing and that. And then I went from there to working with, because I was like, man, after being there for three years, I realized it's the, if we can get the parents healed and healthy, because no matter what these kids went through, they still long to be with their parents and rightfully so. Then to be living in a home with, you know, five, six other, you know, boys, uh, staff coming in around the clock, morning, noon, night, different people, therapists, psychiatrists, you know, school, having meetings with IEP meetings with education, it's all these different folks and they have to be this to every single person and they have all these expectations and you have a family out there somewhere that you could be with. So um, I left there and I found out there was such a program that exists that worked with the entire family unit and to save the play, either re, reunite the kids back with their family or to if there was a uh, child in jeopardy of being taken away, then they would reach out to this entity to go in and work with that entire family to save that placement. And you work with the parents and the kids. So I went and I did that and uh, fell in love with that. And so and then that eventually led me to start my own nonprofit, right? And so it's interesting how, and while I was, well, but while I was working before I started the nonprofit, I started my, the, it's like the universe was saying, you need that music back. You need that music. It's time. This is time to start the music now. Because I hadn't even started the music yet. So I started writing. So I was literally working day nine to five, most of the time nine to six, seven o'clock. And <laughs> I was in the studio. So 12, one, two o'clock in the morning, barely getting sleep and going back to work to do my thing. But I was so happy. And people were like, how are you so happy every day? Because I was balanced. Because my life wasn't just all this. Because although it's a, noble thing what we were doing helping these families it's a very draining and emotional thing too because you're dealing with some very dark issues sometimes of having a child have to go back in the home with a person who violated them because they went through some classes or you know there was abuse and all these things here like you could easily take that home with you so this was a connection for me and i poured that into my songwriting and singing you know and so you know you just kind of you you, you kind of go where and then that leads to opportunity because then now somebody hears this song oh my god we heard your song, the song here. We have this big event in, in uh, Sacramento. You know, we'd love to fly you down uh, to, to be our entertainment for Friday night. Like, blah, blah. And then here I am flying to Sacramento, going entertain and speaking, not having that platform to talk about these things, right? And somebody, oh, I want this lyric from your, in my book. You know, what would I have to do? To yeah. So you just kind of go where the universe, you know, is uh, taking. Once you learn how to navigate life like that, it becomes a little bit easier. I'll tell you that. You're like, ah, okay, I see what's happening. Okay, I know what I need to do. And sometimes it's scary, you know, because it's like, <laughs> this definitely wasn't in the plan. I'm going to have to re-strategize some things, but that's how you're able to make things work, in my experience, or what I find it. Hmm. When you were um, at that point in your life, um, did, did you know real time that kind of you needed to be in the studio to have that balance? Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I, I knew 100%, you know, and at that point I was still, you know, going, I would go out salsa dancing sometimes, so that was meeting my needs, but then it kept, it just got louder and louder, the voice of, you need to be writing, it's, this is the time, you need to start writing, you need to get in the studio. And, um, and that was a process, I had to find what engineer, what producers I wanted to work with. Um, you know, I had to learn how to record in an actual studio 
So that was a training ground for me. So I, I did. I finished that album, released the album, had an album release party, all that stuff. And um, it was scary. You know what I mean? But I did right. it. And uh, it was great. And I learned so much, which helped me till today um, to be not even an uh, even stronger singer, and, uh, but also writer, you know, a deep, uh, deeper writer. And, uh, and learning. I learned the business side so much. You know, so um, all, all that matters. All that matters. And I'm still doing fashion, you know. Um, I have a fashion, online fashion store for women, regular plus size women, uh, Lavish Avenue Apparel. So I still do, you know, I'm still getting that, that, that business side of it, you know, and, and being creative there. So, you know, I just, like I said, if it works in that realm, when I meet someone, whatever seems to be relevant, I don't say, oh, I do this, I do that. I'm like, oh, so what, if I feel I'm even supposed to share what I do, then it's normally specific. And most of the time, that's all they know about me. Mm. Other stuff. So how do you introduce yourself? Yeah, it depends. I'm Ken Henry. That's who I am. And, sometimes, and it depends on where I'm at because sometimes I'm Kenny Henry. So if it's in the, <laughs> art, the artistic realm or whatever, I'm Kenny Henry. And if it's in business, um, you know, um, I'm Ken Henry. So um, it just it just really depends on where I'm at. And it's a need to know basis. And, uh, you know, if someone's in my life long enough, they'll end up finding out more of the other things. But if we meet on business, then to me, it's whatever's relevant to that business. That's what we that's what I share. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. You know, I I really love that your story because it really just I mean it backs up kind of what you mentioned before about kind of letting life take you where you need it to be. Right. Um, I think we're always taught you have to sell yourself, especially when you think about the whole job interview process. Um, it's in, I think part of why it's intimidating is because you go in and the hiring manager expect are um, expecting you to wow them. You have this right. pressure to really do the most and push and say, yes, I do this, I do that, I do this, I do that. I do it all really well, I promise. Um, and I think what you were saying is really interesting because like it's not even about you selling yourself. It's kind of like that consistency with what you're doing and some of that passion in there as well. Yeah. Kind of opens door. Authentic to yourself. Let me think out and, and you made me think of something quick yourself. Let me give you the worst interview I ever had in my life. Oh, I, yeah. That's the worst interview I ever had. And this is right when I first moved to California from Louisiana. And I'm in fashion school. I left my car home because it happened quickly. Literally, when I made the decision, and just to be honest, to show you how I'm very authentic of, of how I moved, I made the decision to move to decide to come to California for pseudo fashion school. And I was in within five days, I flew here of making that decision. I had wow. to readjust everything in my life and all these and things that I was I was going to pursue to do that. And so I'm um, like, okay, well, man, California is way more expensive than Louisiana and more expensive than I even anticipated. So uh, I need to get a job here quickly. <laughs> and so I'm like, well, the close, I need to find something that's close. So there was, I'm not going to say any names, but there's a place across that deal with electronics. You know, they deal with, you know, office supplies, all kind of things like that. And it's right there. I'm like, okay, perfect. So I go in there and turns out a guy that I had just met that was uh, part of the church I, was, I just got into, he worked at that one. And he says, yeah, come come in my department. Well, after going and visit, I was like, mm, the only part department I'd want to be in that would make some lucrative money is like the electronics department. I'm not the tech savvy guy. You know, I know tech, you can be wrong. And I'm like, that should not be the first place. But I'm like, if I'm going to be here and be authentic to myself, I would not want to work in any other part. <laughs> so uh, I told them, he said, well, they're not going to hire you for that. You know, they only hire people who can like literally take computers apart and put them back together. I'm telling you, don't do it. 
come over here because we're hiring. I said, okay, well, I'll think about it. Well, I knew, I said, I'm going for what I want. So I did this interview. <laughs> and this was in the electronic department. And this guy is looking at my resume. And so then he asked me, I remember, um, he asked three questions. And I don't know, I can't remember exactly what the questions were, but they were all about, you know, specific to a certain component of, you know, either a computer uh, part or um, a, a system, a hardware. And so he said, well, how much do you know about X, right? I said, to be honest with you, I said, not much. And so he goes down and he, you know, and the said, okay, show me how much you know about Z. I said, uh, you know, Again, I said, not much. And so he says, so he goes, and he just stares at me. What about, how much do you know about, you know, A? I said, this is going to sound horrible. I said, I can understand how it probably looks to you. I said, but again, uh, not much. And he sits back in his chair. I never forget, I, I could see it as, as it, like it was yesterday. And he says, you don't really know much about computer genes. And so I lean into him. So remember, he goes back body language. I lean in him. I said, no. I said, but I tell you what I do know. I said, I'm a smart guy. I said, I learned I can pick up fast. I said, and I'm amazing customer service and I know how to sell and I know business. I said, I do know that you need to get those electronics off your shelves and out of the store. That I can help you with. And he said, he just stared at me in silence. That's all I said. And he said, you know, I'd never do this. And he said, the guys I hired, he said exactly what my friend said, they're guys that can take computers apart and put them back together. He said, but they cannot sell. They cannot get them off my shelf. When can you start? I said, Monday. Shook hands. Walking out the store, I see my friend in his apartment. He's like this. I said, I'll call you later. Call. He called me. And I said, God, he said, yes, yeah, so you're going to be working with me? I said, no, electronic. Silence. What? Wow. How? I said, because you found me. The interview went great. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? And here I am now in a department I wanted to make it major money. And every time you look around, I'm on a ladder and pulling out a new computer, a printer, walking into the thing with them. You know, I'm learning with some, most of the customers who more than me. I'm reading with them. I'm learning. And that's, you know, that's what it takes. And so, you know, this is what I'm saying. You have to be authentic to yourself. I went in there knowing, hey, I'm not your guy, Jimmy. If that's what you, really what you want, I'm going with the mindset. You are a retailer. Your main job is to sell these products that you have in there. I have major experience in that. I know people, strong people skills, and I know I'm articulate. I can help you sell these things. I'm sure I can learn whatever it is I need to learn to help me sell it. That was my mindset. So yes, it was horrible because I didn't know any answers, and I I told him I know it's horrible. It looks horrible, but here's also what I know. And that was it. He had the right to say, well, no, I'm sorry, but he was a small businessman. And he knew he made the right decision. And I stayed there until I got my car here because that was not my passion doing no freaking computers or whatever. So <laughs> I got my car here, I put that two weeks notice in, thank you very much. And I got me a job at a fashion uh, uh, a fashion uh, company over in LA. And then that was it. <laughs> wow. You have to do. That is really cool. That's so interesting. I know... Um... Now, when um, and I've kind of learned this over a period of time, but in everything you do, I think people really, at the end of the day, just need problems to be solved. Absolutely. And you were able to kind of identify, like, yeah, I know you're looking for someone to put computers together, but also know, hey, I mean, you got all these things sitting here. Don't you want to make some money? <laughs> like, 
really yeah. showed uh, like the true value and kind of answered the questions he wasn't even asking, I guess, in a way. And he was the head guy. He was the GM. So he was the oh, head. Wow. So I know he knows all about where the sales are at, projection, if, they, if they're on the low end, if they're where they need to be. He knew that. So I spoke his language. Hmm. Interesting. Did you know that you were going to be speaking to the GM? I had no clue. I didn't know who was interviewing me. I had no clue. Hmm. So. That's pretty cool. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Hmm. And that actually brings me to a question. I like to ask everybody because everyone always shares a different answer. Um, what does professionalism mean to you? To me, professionalism means, um, honestly, it's it's ethics. Um, that's very, very important for me. And it is being, is giving your, your bet, you know, and that you have a certain standard, you know. And so for that, that's what, because I think it's, you know, it's not about a job. It's not about, it's whatever you're doing is having a certain standard of the way you deliver, the way you perform, and being ethical, you know, being honest, uh, trustworthy, those kind of things. That's, to me, when I think of professional, that's what's professional. Because at the end of the day, when people have issues, it's with someone who are not exuding that, who's not either showing ethics or they don't have a certain standard about the way that they do their work, they perform it, the way they communicate with people, whether it is their employee, their um, coworkers or, you know, clients, customers, those are going to be your main two things that you're going to see people have issues with, no matter what. Someone could, you know, and to me, standards is even how you present yourself. You know what I mean? Here we are. I'm not in um, on a stage right now receiving an award but I'm coming on a, where I knew I'm going to be on video with you. So I'm making sure that I look great, right? Because to me, that's my, that's Kenny Henry's standard. And I want to be professional, whether I'm on Zoom, I life coach, I want to make sure I look presentable. I, it's, it's all about a standard. So that's it. That's my answer in a nutshell. I love it. Hmm. Love that. Hmm. Okay, cool. Now, um, you mentioned something earlier, um, when you were working with the foster home, kind of managing that place. Um, and it really reminds me a lot of just like the daily life as a social worker or really anyone doing something relating to kind of solving some like humanity type issues. Um, when you're in those type of environments, do you ever kind of take a moment to kind of seek out therapy or do something a little therapeutic, like intentionally? Yeah, you know, it's uh, interesting Interesting that you said because, um, you know, doing that, having that balance. So doing those things, like for me, you know, songwriting um, and, you know, going in there and actually singing, vocally delivering it, that's very therapeutic. Um, continuing the balance of, you know, going out and dancing, you know, very therapeutic. And so people miss there's little things that they could be doing that is very, very, very therapeutic. And then I've always been blessed to have great people in my life. I'm very, very picky about my circle of people that are my close friends, that are confidants, that um, um, I can be vulnerable with, I can be honest with, um, I can share fears with, hopes, dreams, I can trust my dreams with. So for me, that's a regular thing. And, uh, you know, I think that if that was not a regular thing, then that, yeah, there would definitely be, it's very, very important to go and do that. Plus, a lot of my friends are therapists, and a lot of times I'm giving my therapy friends therapy, you know, the therapy, and I'm, I'm the life coach, you know. Um, and so, but it's just that village, you know, and I think it's very, very important to have a healthy community around you. I can't stress that enough, and I stress that in every realm that I'm in. You have to be very picky about that, and, it's, and, and nobody's perfect. Healthy just means people are trying their best. 
And if they do mess up, then they take ownership for it and they they put their best foot forward to 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 be healthy and you know and, and just kind of live life on a how can I say a more loving, a more holistic and well-rounded, you know, foundation, really. So it's it's all about a healthy community. And so for me, I always had it, to be honest with you. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah, I know my mom kind of I mean, she has a lot of really cool sayings, but one of the things she's always said since I was little is that it takes a village. It does. Um yeah, it's I mean, you could do it on your own, but when you have those people in your life, that community, that just makes your experience so much better. Like, I know my mom, she worked a lot all the time. And I just like, can't imagine if we didn't have that village, like some friends or parents would just come up, pick me up from her shop and be like, yeah, you come with me. You can stay the night if you want, but exactly. coming and going. So exactly. it's like, I get to have a great experience and my mom could just focus on like breaking out whatever she needs to get done. Exactly. Yeah, that's great. I'm a wise woman, a village, always have a village, um, you know, and, and be mindful of who's in that village. And sometimes that village has to change. Sometimes some of the village members have to change. Um, and it's just okay. So if you just, you, you have to I give everybody the benefit of the, a doubt, a, a chance. Uh, and if they just can't, then you have to put boundaries up and start distancing yourself, you know? So mm. good job, mommy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Man, um, I know she she listens to this, so she's definitely going to be like, "Oh, what? Thank you." <laughs> um, so it, you bring up an interesting point. I wanted to ask you about that. Kind of when that village member, you realize that like, you know what, that might not be the best person around me. Um, I think a lot of people um, have that person in their life, but it's really hard to like remove and put up those barriers. I feel like with that person, um, what. Yeah. What would you recommend to somebody in that situation? Uh, you'd be authentic. I mean, I can't say that enough. Be very honest because you have the right to feel how you feel. And, um, you know, that's my, my thing is to try to talk to them first. You know, make sure you go to them and you, you don't have to go out and let them know exactly how you feel about it and give them an opportunity. Um, and sometimes, you know, if you're in a hurt place, cause, you know, I've been there myself where you're in a hurt, a hurt place. And so you don't, um, you don't do that right away, you know? And so you, but, but the healthy thing is to do it right away. It, it, as soon as you can, to talk to them, give them an opportunity to fix it. And if they show you they don't want to fix it, or then, or not, maybe even don't want to, maybe they're just not in a place right now where they feel empowered enough to do it. But you have also the power to, and the right to protect yourself and distance yourself now. But the good thing is you've already brought it to them. So when you do distance, they know why you're distancing, right? They don't have to like it. And they may be unhealthy. They may go slander you, talk about you, or, you know, do dirty dealings to you. But uh, And it's always harder for the people you care about the most. It does seem to be the hardest uh, breakups, shall we say, whether it's relationship or friendship, uh, fam you know, family. It's always the hardest when you care about somebody a lot and you feel that uh, for whatever reason, they don't value you or they don't care about you or whether what you thought you feel more, um, yeah, you take it personal. And I think those are the, the times the most that we should be very careful about how we handle it. Right. Cause I know I've uh, genuinely, I've handled things wrong in the past myself. And, uh, but I took responsibility for that and I moved forward. Now it doesn't mean move forward. I have to go and subject myself to them again or be back in a relationship. No, we are, we're done with that. No more friendship. But and now I, as a person, I've been able to grow. And I've been able to see, take ownership of my area in it 
and uh, stop looking at that other person so much and just take responsibility for yourself and say, okay, you know what? And where did mine come from? You know, is that some trauma that showed itself or whatever? Like, why was I, why was I triggered to respond this way? I know I'm hurt, but was that the right way? Okay, and, and own that. And if there needs to be apology, apologize for that, but then move forward. And, and that's it, because that's how we grow and that's how we make sure we don't do those things again. But, you know. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So no ghosting anybody or leaving people on red. I don't believe in that. I think, uh, I mean, ghosting, you know, if you didn't have any kind of like really tight relationship, then yeah, I mean, you, you don't really owe anyone anything. But I think if we you have that tight relationship, you know, you, um, and it's interesting because, you know, everyone, like I said earlier, looks from a different lens and everyone has their own uh, baggage that we bring, you know, to the plate. And so, you know, there's, I'm also a Coro, I don't know if you know Coro, C-O-R-O, Coro Fellow. Coro is a national leadership organization. I think it's been around like 76 years or something. Amazing. Oh, wow. And while I was, I'm a fellow of those, uh, of that, and, um, and I was put in that when I was put in the Human Trafficking Leadership Academy. In there, one of the things that they taught is what's called a lot of inference. A lot of inference is where we um, all bring our baggage to a situation. And we do it all the time. And so, um, you know, an example, for instance, could be, let's say you and I, we're on here right now, okay? So, well, we are, but, you know, you or I'm talking, and every time I talk, you, you're putting your head down writing, or you're turning, and there's someone else there, and you're just, like, talking to them. And I'm like, you know, let's say I'm pouring my heart out, and I'm looking at this guy, I keep talking to someone on the side, you know, like, oh, so he doesn't really care about what I'm saying, he's just trying to get through his questions and in this state. Right. So I could look at it as you don't really care. Um, you know, this is just what you do because of maybe I had some past experience somewhere where uh, I was not valued. Right. Or what I had to say wasn't valued. And so I started I started making as I climb up the ladder with each action that you do, that's a step on the ladder. And so with each action you do, I get closer and closer to forming my opinion about you. And at the top of the ladder, I make a decision of how I'm going to handle it. If I'm going to say something to you, if I'm going to disconnect from here, if I'm going to say, you know what, the right boss lost, you know, this guy, you know, blah, 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 so unprofessional, I'm going to put something on social media, that's what happens. <laughs> and I don't know the real situation. You could have had just had an emergency happen this morning and you still are trying to get through this and you just got a phone call that someone that you really love or in the, is in the hospital in a critical state and you're trying to be here and there uh, and really trying to be with me, but you're also trying to deal with this and you're preoccupied, right? Which I totally, if I knew the story and what was going on, I would have it completely, and I'd be maybe trying to help you, you know, in that kind of way, instead of making forming my own opinion and then taking an action. And I think that's what we got, we as people, we really have to learn that just because something appears a certain way doesn't mean that's what it is. So like the four agreements is an amazing book. And one of those four agreements is to agree to yourself, commit to yourself that you will not assume, make an mm. assumption, right? And I love that because when you don't make an assumption, it keeps it pure, right? Even if you're doing actions, I trust whatever that person is, I'm gonna have a pure heart. Uh, I'm not taking it personal. And that's another agreement is don't take things personally, you know, and so, uh, I think if you apply those things to life, you have a, a much more, and sometimes even though it may, you may be wrong, maybe it is a personal thing they're trying to do, but you're so oblivious to it and it doesn't rock your world at all 
because you're like, okay, great. You still able to have a pure heart and be a kind, loving person unless somebody shows their head in a negative way. Then it, okay, there's a bit, no doubt in the world what's happening here, and I get to check the situation. Yeah, man, that's cool, and I really love that ladder analogy because I think that really paints it perfectly. It is like uh, increasing a step and a step and a step until you kind of get to that top end. And usually at that point, you're just like, no, nah, I'm done with you. Like all these things. But the whole time you could just be assuming things, mm-hmm. thinking something big. Wow. So that baggage really does come into play. I what a- often. <laughs> mm-hmm. Do you, um, so like when you're in these professional settings and you kind of notice that this person kind of may be kind of poisonous, you don't want them too close to you, but at the same time you realize, okay, um, this could be another ladder situation. It could be just misreading something. Um, how do you have these conversations with people? Yeah, I've, you know, and I've been in those situations. <laughs> so, um, you know, but I think for me, again, I, I tried not to, you know, take it personal. And, um, and you know, and I, I do, I'm the kind of guy, I, I am more lighthearted in nature. Um, so I'll definitely try that approach. And, and, and it kind of takes people off guard too, because I think that a lot of times, because I do need the lightheartedness, because that's what I, that's just who I am and what I believe. But I also have a very tough side if I need to put my foot down and, uh, you know, practice a boundary. And sometimes it can throw people all the way. He's not who he said it. I am who I am. I am. That's all part of me. <laughs> just that mm-hmm. I need with this, because this is what I, I prefer love and light. I don't want to have to be in this side, but if you bring the side, then yes, I'm going to go, go here, and because it's not right, it's just you know inappropriate or whatever. But I, yeah, you know, I I normally will make comments um, in a way of trying to get the person to you know lighten up or like okay, I'll do I'll try to bring a positive uh, aspect to what they're saying, and that's a big just a big part of my personality. It's um, you know. It's funny. I, I took a test before. Strength finders. Have you? Are you familiar with strength finders? Um, not that one. But I've taken like the Myers Briggs test. Yeah, and... Very the same. The same. Okay. And so on the strength finder one that we did, um, the agency that I was with, and I think we had about forty people. And um, out of all forty, I was the only one that one of my top fives was uh, futuristic. Nobody else had that. I'm looking at that boy. What the heck is he? It sounds cool, but wait. Now, you know, a little level of insecurity because I'm like, I'm the only one out of 40 people. And everybody else, we all had, you know, my other things match with everyone else. Well, and so I researched it. I'm like, wow, well, I mean, that honestly, that's me. It says, you know, futuristic person has the ability to see what others don't see. And when others see a problem, they see the solution. And honestly, that's, that's who I am as long as I can remember. And so um, I do that when I see people being negative and things of that nature, I try to bring um, that positive aspect to it. Or, you know, gosh, you know, well, now what are we going to do? And this and that, this do the whole thing. I'm like, well, you know, and I'm honestly saying what I see. Hey, this could actually be a great thing. You know, like COVID is very negative. People have lost their lives. You know, we have people in my community, unfortunately, that we lost because of it. Also, though, I see with this quarantine and everybody's like, man, we're indoors and all this stuff. There's so much more that you could do. And I said, wow, you know, now the people that say I don't have time to work out, you can put that into your schedule and you can work out consistently. Right. I know I did. It helped me a lot. Wow. All this stuff. I didn't have time because I'm traveling to go see this client, this client for life coaching. Have them right here at the house. I can do clients back to back. Oh, they can do more time for this. 
oh, also I get to work on this project while I'm here at home. Amazing. I'm not burning gas. I'm not doing travel time. I don't have to pay for studio time and all this stuff here. So, you know, it's just, it's the way that you look at it, you know, and you spend time with self. So maybe I can't physically be with as many people as I like, but guess what? I get to be the most important person now and the noise gets to stop. I get to be with me and I get to really deal with me, the good, bad, the ugly. You know, what things do I need to grow in? How do, how can I, and I made a commitment to myself, how can I come out from COVID-19 being a better version of myself? I want to commit to that. And that was my goal. And I put in one of the ones was physical fitness. The other one was like um, being, having that schedule and being on top of a uh, project. And the other one was just more spiritually, you know, grounded again. Just being, you know, my word and meditating. feel like I'm, I'm on that, that, that right path. And, and that was it. So just like committing to that. And I'll tell you, it's been beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Hmm. That's cool. Yeah, I know um, it's, ooh, yeah, COVID. I always like to say this, but COVID really, I think, exposed a lot um, from all of the injustices out there, the uh, inequalities. But kind of like to what you were saying, just exposes a lot to, I think, everyone personally. And it's like for the first time in a long time, we've all had to sit still without all these other distractions and excuses and kind of sit with it and look at yourself in the mirror. And it's like, at first, I think like, I know with me personally, I say, I think at first it was like, Oh, is that what I'm seeing? Is this who I am right now? Right. And I know for me, it's really taught me that I hadn't been investing as much in myself. Right. Like this podcast, for example, um, this is something that I started trying to figure out in college because it, can start for me just trying to figure out if I can be in these interviews with Lux. Right. Um, and I started having conversations, recorded ones in 2017. And it's just like taking a while. It's been a like a journey for specific reasons, but at the same time, I really could have started at any time. But mm-hmm. um, COVID kind of taught me like, yo, if you're not investing in yourself, everything else you're doing is kind of subject to other people. So mm-hmm. um yeah, and I'm, some of the things you mentioned are on my list as well, um, yeah, especially yeah. the fitness side. My uncle, he just uh, started this challenge like 30 days ago, like whole family, 100 push-ups every day. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, that was tough, but like towards that end with that consistency as well, it you really get to that point where you're just kind of knocking them out really quickly. You condition your body. You're conditioning yourself. Yeah. 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 I need to actually kind of start that challenge up because afterwards I was like, yeah, I'm still doing them, but it kind of fell off again, so. It's kind of the, that accountability. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Mm-hmm. Cool. Now, um, one thing I, I meant to ask you, actually, because I didn't realize this, but um, you you said that you started a nonprofit, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What is that nonprofit? So the nonprofit is uh, TikTok, T-I-K-T-O-K Services, and we're based out of uh, California. And so we, we started, uh, we did substance abuse one side, so I have a co-founder as well. Um, and... Um, we the other side is the anti-human trafficking and so um what we've done have currently been evolved actually because now you know i've been able to be one of the uh, founder and leaders of the company human trafficking task force because we didn't have a task force that comes in in la and so we decided to get one that would focus um definitely be able to focus and uh on a lot everybody but especially the black uh people that were victims of trafficking and are and have it where, you know, you have a lot of people there that know the community. 
right? Because we, we were finding that most of the leadership in LA didn't really have black of all. And, and the statistics were showing that it was 65% of the, the reported cases were black women. So that's significant. And to not mm-hmm. have their representation. So um, we did that. And um, so that was one. And then I ended up becoming a board member on another uh, company, Restoration Diversion Services in Compton, that's a drop-in center and uh, doing work and just building with all these different amazing entities. So uh, I, I thought, well, you know what, right now we have so many great entities that are doing this. One of my biggest passions that I feel need is the mentorship part. So that's what we've evolved into to where we're still doing awareness and education for uh, the anti-trafficking. However, I'm focusing more on the mentorship part. Hmm. So we're doing, so we're doing substance abuse and mentorship part. Now over um, in Texas, we're going to be working on building another nonprofit here that we're going to specifically be an event-led um, for and specifically targeting the Black community. That's an event-led mobilizing community, bringing people together for the sake of ending human trafficking in the Black community. And I'll also be doing the mentorship program out in, Texas, in Houston as well. And Code Black is the mentorship program, and it's for boys 12 to 18 years old. Black boys, 12, 18 years old, and it's all, I have eight different models where we talk about, the first is like historical uh, history, trauma, what is trauma, how has trauma affected us as people, how have we evolved, how is trauma still showing up, and how do we heal from that? And then I have, you know, what do you identify with? Do you identify with, you know, African-American? Do you identify with Black? What do you identify with? Why do you identify with that? And then we move down to um, financial literacy, where we talk about teaching them early the investments, like what is life insurance? What's the purpose of that? How does it benefit you? What is health insurance? You know, um, you know, right. basic beginning like budgeting, stocks, beginner level. Uh, we have a special uh, component of inspired creativity, which is all mm-hmm. about now the whole entire program. What creative things do they have in them? And then we start helping them utilize that, whether it's writing, whether it's music, whether it's sports whether it's, you know, a form of performance or dancing or something like that, maybe it's visual arts. What is that? And we start to align them with the right people that are already professionals in the community, other black men and women that are doing it, and even people that are not black that want to be involved in it and help out as, you know, an apprentice, have an apprenticeship or something. Uh, And then we also have the healthy part. So the Zen swag is about having them understand what meditation is all about, how do you meditate? you know, what is yoga, those kind of things. And then what, what does this mean, eating your body is what we eat. So I have a thing called eating to live versus living to eat and breaking that down. So, um, yeah. Hmm. Eating to live versus living to eat. Hmm. Yeah. Can you break that down for me? Yeah, I love it. So eating to live is where you want to live. You want to live a healthy life. You want to truly live. We, we say there's a lot of people that exist, but not a lot of people that are living, right? Because you could be alive and breathing, but if you're having major diabetes, you know, diabetic and you're having major symptoms of that, if you're having high blood pressure and you're in pain, chronic pain, arthritis, all these things here because of these decisions that you're making to eat because, oh my God, I love food. I love or my culture has the best food or I love this kind of food, but it's not healthy. And, and I constantly consume that. You are what you eat. And after a while, that's going to show up, not just physically, uh, but also, you know, um, health-wise. And so you want to eat to live. So I want to learn what are those good foods? What are the things that are anti-inflammatory? What does turmeric do? What does ginger do? What is this? How do I balance these kind of things? You know, what are the right fats, not the right fats? Okay, just because my culture eats 
soul food with all this grease or whatever, is that the best thing to put in my body? How can I keep soul food to make it a little bit more healthy? <laughs> How can I incorporate maybe some vegan veggie stuff into this and make it a little bit more healthy and not compromise the taste so that I can truly live, right? So that's mm-hmm. good versus living to eat. Well, I don't really care, man. I, I love food. I love food. So I, I, I like to eat. So I'm living, right. Right? Well, let's eat over here. What are we having today? And we don't think about the, the important responsibility of eating correctly, right? Interesting. And that's something I had to learn coming from a Creole culture with gumbo, jambalaya, ate your face. Right. Trust me. And I still love those things today. And I've been, you know, but I've learned how to, you know, cook and, um, cook them in a healthier way and I just have learned to eat. I went vegan for a year and a half, like a hundred percent. Really? Yeah. And so now I'm just more like pescatarian, but here every now and then I'm not one of those hardcore people. Every now and then I'll have some chicken, I'll have mix it in, you know, I just try to make it a habit not to eat red meat. It's my thing. Yeah. That's really cool. And I love to hear that you're doing that. Um and um, shaping it to kind of specifically work with the black community. That's really cool. Yeah, um, I know um, in episode two and four of this podcast, so the uh, second one was with Dr. Bossy Bomani, and he was kind of talking about how I think a lot of times we think like to be vegan is, is like we have to be vegan all the way, right. when right. in reality it's sometimes just like reducing the amount, just starting with just uh, volume control. Or maybe just implementing one healthy meal out of the day to start out with. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think um, another thing with the veganism, I think is so interesting, uh, especially mm-hmm. with the Black community, because I feel like for a long time, I know it, it, in my life at least, I felt as though a lot of these vegan restaurants and everything, it was it was okay, but I don't think anything really spoke to Black people. Right. And um, here in Atlanta, there's this place called Slutty Vegan. Oh, and yeah, I've seen a documentary on them actually. I've never had the opportunity to go, but yeah. Oh yeah, when, when you come to Atlanta, I mean, they're starting to branch out everywhere, but I highly recommend it. Like I am a, I'm a meat eater, but when you kind of take a bite, it's like, man, this is actually like a really good sandwich. Like what they put together is really good. It's its own thing. You don't need to even look at it as a replacement of burgers. It's just absolutely. really cool. Yeah, absolutely. One other thing I wanted to ask you, um, and then I want to get into kind of your natural hair journey. Um, you're, so one of the things you're doing with this nonprofit is working with trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of people have, I think sometimes people don't understand trauma in their own life. Um, and I think that comes from like putting the walls up and not thinking about it, bottling up. Yeah, um, how do you start these conversations with people to kind of identify trauma? Well, I think it's, it's really, first of all, educating people on what trauma is and then showing them and part of educating them what it is, what I found is very effective is showing them how does it show up in, in different examples of that, right? And, and, and what, what is post-traumatic stress disorder? What is PTSD? It's not just, you know, the military. Like I grew up thinking, oh, that's just because, you know, that's all I heard. It's like, oh, you know, they, they're military. So I equated that to, oh, you get that if you go to the military. No. And you get that with any traumatic experience and you start talking about um, the body chemistry, you know, and since 2015, um, you know, one of the areas I've been life coaching is traumatic brain injury. So I work with a uh, company, uh, Brain Rehabilitation and Injury Network in Cypress, California, and been with that since, since 2015. And, um, you know, I learned so much about the brain and how that works. Right. And uh, when we have these traumatic experiences, how it changes. 
you know, pathways, you know, neurons, and uh, you start to respond, you get triggered and how certain things smells, um, a, a, a physical thing, a person that uh, seems like someone, a sound, hearing a voice that sounds like that, you know, and it could have been years ago, but it can trigger certain things. So teaching them what really that is, and then now people start to like, wow, I think I might have that. They start to, uh, it resonates with a lot of folks. And they can start to understand it. So once they get a clear perspective of what it is, most people are very interested. And now they have, especially younger kids, they want to, they have questions now. Oh, could this be trauma? What about this? Cause this happens here. Oh, this happened to my cousin or this happens to me. And so to start talking about that and getting educated on it. Cause a lot of times they're not getting this stuff at home. Parents are not even educated sometime on it. So they, they don't know how to educate their kids on it. This is not something that's really talked about in school unless you go to college and you're studying psychology, you're studying, you know, mental health, you know what I mean? Social services. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, having those deep conversations that are about wisdom, you know, and mm -hmm. uh, I think that's that's kind of what I, 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 I hope to bring. And uh, for me, I think it's very important from a, a, a culture like us who has suffered so much with historical trauma and we're still trying to heal from that trauma that has been passed down and passed down because we normalized it, you know, and, uh, and even, you know, it's in our comedy, you know, our comedians, you know, you're still like, yeah, it's funny, but it, you know, is it the right thing? It, you know, it, it's, it's really not, <laughs> you know, it's, it's really it's funny, but it's really not funny because we are still affected in the way that we see the world in a lot of ways. Um, I mean, even the whole beating, you know, how we used to be able to brag, yeah, man, you know, black mom beats, you'll beat you. You know, this and that, and oh, yeah, I'll beat, I'll beat you, I'll beat us with a shoe, beat us with a switch, you know, oh, beat us with this. And it's like, well, why is that normalized? Well, because slave masters, that's how you got the slaves in line, right? Yeah. This is how even overseers that were made to sometimes their own people that were made overseers get them in line. And so this thing of get them in line, then I beat you because this was so ingrained in us to get you to perform and act the right way, speak the right way, do the right thing. So there wasn't really this art of we lost what we had of this natural ability to talk. If you even look in Africa today, many of the tribes still just, and I'm talking about modern, they still do the same stuff. When someone has done something in that community, they are putting them there and they cause many people that knew that person saw them going up to be there in front of them and sometimes walking in a circle. And all they're saying, each one was shouting all these amazing things about it of their intellect, how smart they were, how trustworthy they were, how loving they were, how they did this. And this person is breaking down crying because they're so embarrassed of how they shamed the village or shamed the name because of this mistake, this bad moment they had. And, you know, but we lost that when we came and we were taught something else. And we grew and started growing up in that, right? And so we passed that down. So it became almost this noble thing, the thing to be proud of, right? And is that healthy? To dominate your child, to to beat your child. No, they're wrong. I'm not saying spoil the rod. I'm not saying because I you, you got to tap and tap, you know, a little bit. But it's this this terrible thing to be. But do, do I do I want to do that, right? Mm -hmm. uh, or do I want to get to a point where we can conversate and I can actually understand the importance of your decision, how to impact it, whether it's negative or positive, how it impacts you, how it impacts others around you, and do you want to take responsibility for that? Those, you know, so that's just one example of, of uh, why it's so important for us to really wake up, you know, and that's what this mentorship for me is to do. And that's a part in there too, of, uh, you know, knowing your rights, how that's very important because it's speaking to, hey, let's be real with what's happening. How many videos do we see countless and countless times of someone being victimized, you know, let's say a person of color, 
or even if it's not a person of color, just someone being victimized and uh, they're shouting and they know that their rights are being violated, but they don't know how to articulate that, right? Mm-hmm. And we're passing the question and it leads to them being, you know, slammed and all this stuff and it's feeding right into those, you know, especially the cops that have malice in their heart, feeding right into their hands. Versus when you see a video and the person is not moved at all by them and is able to say their rights, know their rights, remind the cop of their rights, right? And then you see no hands on nobody at all because that cop knows who they're dealing with now. And mm. they don't care much, right? So they know who they're dealing with, who they're not. And so this is why it's a, it's a way of not just empowering, but also equipping them to be able to handle themselves in even situations like that. Only, un, un, unfortunately, yeah, we, it is a great thing to know all around, but just unfortunately still in that climate as a man of color, person of color, you know, unfortunately we see that we still have to make sure that's a priority for our, our community. Man. That is um, so true. And, um, you know, one thing that I always look to do or keep in mind is um, perspectives. Yeah. And I personally really like to view things from multiple perspectives and I like to bring people on the show who kind of give those different perspectives as well. So I want to thank you for everything you just said. Um, I mean, really throughout this whole episode, you really did bring that, but even just like when it comes to disciplining the child and getting them online and just, I never ever even considered how that could have been passed down all the way from slavery. Um, That's very interesting. And once again, definitely want to applaud you for what you're doing. Um, Yeah. It's like your, work i mean obviously there's nothing overnight but it's the beginnings of ending the tradition and generations of all these negative behaviors absolutely and i love it for i'm open book trust me i'm not married to it i'm like if you know if anything i'm doing is working and healing i want people to take it take it you can do the same model i don't care i hope you i don't care what state you're in or whatever do it as long as this is going around, we need as many of our people to feel this as possible and experience this so that we can be healed. Like, take it. You can take it and you can give yourself all the credit if that's what you want. I could care less. <laughs> you know? <laughs> as long as you're genuinely doing the work and you're helping our community progress and heal, I am fine with that. Yeah. Yeah, I guess people really have to because there are so many people out there who really need help. And, Absolutely. like, I think one thing... Um, you didn't straight out say it, but you basically acknowledged that when you were in LA, you kind of noticed, okay, there's a couple other people doing the same work I'm doing, but I could actually kind of narrow down and just get into this one area. And I think that's really cool because you put all of that energy instead of focusing on doing a bunch of things, almost like a jack of all trades, you're kind of focusing on one lane and that will lead where it leads. And that's what that was, you know, really missing. And I'm like, well, now that I, know and trust these great relations have these great relationships with these folks and entities that are doing this great work then we use them to take care of this because but there's still a major gap here we need more help in the mentors uh area you know there's some good programs there uh love the unlimited one i love out there by malika chris uh she's out of long beach uh there's there's some really good ones out there um but we that, that area still needs a lot of, it needs a lot of help and i know what i can bring is very valuable to that. And so for me, I was like, yeah, that's it. And But it was a reason why, because I came into the anti-human trafficking, I got exposed and met so many 
type people and I grew and learned some more as well to better prepare me now for even this next step. And that's the beautiful part about that process and just following the journey that you, you, you see God is doing. Uh, he, he's creating those avenues for you to go down. And so, yeah. Very cool. Now there's, honestly, there's like much more I would ask you about that, but I do want to kind of, can I get your thoughts on natural hair? And um, you've had, like, how long have you had Lux? Uh, 2012 is when I started. Yeah. 2012? 2012. Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. What, um, what were some of those, like what led you to start your Lux journey? I have a very, I, you know, for me, it's a, it's a very personal um, story. Uh, I, first of all, I never, ever thought I was going to have dreads. Let me just say that. Uh, didn't desire dreads whatsoever. Uh, Inside, so that was never, again, never on my mind. When I moved to LA, um, I started letting my hair grow a little bit. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to try a different look, you know, something different. And I started letting it grow and then I started wearing it kind of curly, right? So then I got to the point where I moved and started doing twists. And mm -hmm. so, uh, the beautician I had was a, a, a friend I met through the church I was in. And um, she was great. So it was wonderful. We built a good friendship. She would do my hair consistently. And uh, so I want to keep it tight and looking right. And I am in this professional realm. So for me, it's like, you know, I want to make sure, you know, I'm already wearing natural hair. I have responsibility to make sure my natural hair is not just a mess looking all over the place. So I would make sure it was always, you know, tight and uh, just looking the best natural hair that can be. And so I remember she, after a while, started telling me, gosh, you know, have you ever considered doing locks? I said, oh, no, no, absolutely not. And I'm sitting in her chair while she's doing it. And she said, no, I'm cleaning your hair. So you have a, a texture with locks very well. I said, oh, no, no, I'm sure. But no, it's not my thing. I don't like the look, you know, because I'm thinking of the big dreads I'm seeing on people. I don't care if it's white, black, whatever. And it's like looking a mess. I'm like, what is growing inside those things? I mean, that's how I looked at it. Let's be real. And so, um, like, they're just, no, I don't want that on my head. And so she said, yeah, but you can get them different sizes. You can choose them from big, small. It's really up to you. And that's because people don't take care of it. If you take care of it, you know, and she was showing me photos and she would try. I was like, nah, maybe, yeah. So she tried again another time later. I'm still saying no. I'm like, yeah, well, maybe one day in my life. I don't know. We'll see. I said, if I don't like it, I'll cut it off. Well, unfortunately, you know, she was had uh, she was in remission from for cancer, and unfortunately, cancer came back, and uh, and it took her really fast, and which really took us all by. I mean, it because she's just a phenomenal woman. I mean, she really was, and a servant, um, and constantly serving at church, helping out to um, thriving with her business. She had just got her home, just had built her. Um, beauty shop in, in the back part of our hall. I mean, just, it was, everything was right. And um, that happened. And I remember after I was sitting at her funeral and it hit me for some reason how she always wanted me to get dreads. And then she had even told me, if you get it, go to this person because she's the best at natural hair. She's not even a beautician, like certified, but she's just been doing natural hair for all this time. And she is amazing. I always send clients. So I, I went to that person and I said, I'm going to do this out of an homage and just tribute to her. I'm going to go ahead and get locked. And you know what? Maybe I have to before a year or six months or something and I can cut them off. But I feel like I want to do that uh, in honor of her. And so I did. And uh, look at me. That's 2020. Mm -hmm. It is 2020. I still have that love with them. Uh, I still have the same lady. It was a dear, dear friend of mine. I like family now. Uh, and uh, yeah. And, and so for me, it's been a beautiful journey. 
Uh, I love them. I think natural hair is the best thing for black folks. I will always say that. I'm so against putting chemicals in our hair and all that stuff that's not meant to be in our hair. I believe there is strong linkage linkage to you know uh, health issues with that stuff going that lie and all that stuff going into our hair with the sperms. I believe that in our hair it's healthier and it grows like it should grow when it's when it's natural. Uh, and uh, yeah, and I think I'm I'm all for that movement. All for that movement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. Um, just with chemicals, like I think a lot of people know that it can damage the hair, but um, kind of what you mentioned, like the line of hair, like it lead to other things. Um, the uh, we interviewed uh, Tondo Cafele, who um, called himself the King of Locks, and after our conversation, I really believe it. He really is. But um, he was mentioning how uh, some of these chemicals can lead to like some major health issues, like cancer. Um, breast cancer and just all sorts of other things that um, maybe a doctor wouldn't even be able to at first glance connect the two, but it's like seeping into our minds, our brain, our body, just flowing through everything else. Absolutely. It's insane. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Man, that's, um, that is a really cool story and journey. And it's really cool. You made that decision to, you know, I'm going to do this kind of honor. And then that turned into a whole another type of journey. Um, what would be, if you were to give someone advice, someone who's either interested in starting their natural hair journey, whether it be locks or just going natural in general, mm-hmm. or um, somebody who has natural hair, but is kind of feeling a little disgruntled about it, what's something that you would say to them? Yeah, I, I think for, first of all, I would ask, you know, why? I think your why for anything that you go for in life needs to be very strong. You need to have a strong why because, you know, with anything, there's going to be some ups and downs, some challenges. I went through the, like, I guess you call it ugly hair stage. I'm like, man, what the heck is going on? The length, you know, whatever. I got to try to fix it and make it, you know. And so you're going to go through those. And if you don't have a strong why, then you're going to be discouraged and you're going to get rid of it. And so, um, you know, I think that's number one. And then two, it's like, how much do you know about it? You know, get educated because... One of the things I did before I went to Lazy, I, was, I watched tons of videos, like, you know, okay, how do you take care of it? How, what kind of products you put in it? Oh, wow, they're saying don't put products in it. You know, how do you wash it? I went through all that to see, okay, well, I do want to do this and because I, I think this is noble, this tribute. However, is it going to be realistic for me, the maintenance of it? Because mm-hmm. although this is noble and, and a great tribute, if I can't maintain it, then it's, it's an unwise decision. And so I realized that it is possible and a lot more easier than what I so um yeah so that's what i uh, you know i think i would date what is your why and then get educated on it get educated on it like the different styles the different possibilities the maintenance that's going to require you know financially will that make sense for you right now you know because the thing in that you need to take care of your hair too you got to buy products you have to like you know buy some tools so um you know there is there's pros and cons so be responsible with all that and see is this the best thing for you but um i think it is i think it's totally doable um i think it is less expensive in my opinion uh and uh than doing perms and all that uh and so you know but i think i think people should do it if you haven't done that journey before you need to do all those things ahead of time before you just go ahead and dive into it right like and then who's going to do it for you right you know can this be consistent like i think about that now I came here, you know, to be in Texas for a little bit, and I'm like, oh, my God, who's going to do my hair while I'm out there? Uh, do I fly back for to do it, you know? And I'm like, wait, let me check and see if she can do this. Right? So you have to plan it all out. Right. 
you know, and so, um, yeah, so my thing is, what would be the, the what's your why? Um, how educated are you on it? So you can see if this is realistic or not. Nice. And last thing I like to ask people is, um, do you consider your locks a hairstyle or a lifestyle? Mine's a, mine's a lifestyle, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Why definitely. is that? Because I like, you know, um, for me, it's like, yeah, I'm, I, I am style. That's who I am. I mean, I have my own style. Always had it. I like fashion a lot. Um, you know, and yeah, I wear my hair sometimes all up in the bun. Sometimes it's all down. Sometimes it's up and down like it is today. Um, sometimes she'll do like a mohawk kind of like or whatever. So it's style, but to me, it's a lifestyle because there is a, um, yeah, it's a certain image that, that, that comes with that. You're perceived certain ways. You know, I came to I have a client right now that I just let him see what I look like on uh, a white guy <laughs> or on a uh, text yesterday. Um, I thought, I said, Oh, I thought you went to my soldier. He said, No. So I sent him pictures. He said, Wow, what? What? I I mean, I'm, I, I'm really going crazy right now. Like, honestly, like, normally I'm good at this stuff. He said, But I just never, I, you don't sound like, you know, like, look at this picture. I never think you sound the way that you sound. I was like, Well, yeah. I said, Well, okay, I can understand that, I guess, you know. But again, because I'm expected to still, in, in a, in, in, to a lot of folks, have a certain demeanor, sound apparently a certain way, which I got learned, I learned that last night. I didn't know it was supposed to sound a certain way. Um, you know, I'm supposed to be into weed, have to, you know, that kind of thing, which I'm not, not against, but I'm not into it. And so all these things here, um, you know, it's a lifestyle that comes with it. And uh, I also feel that I have a responsibility, and I'm going to tell you this, and this is very, um, to me, very, very serious. I feel that just like I feel the black man that I carry, I'm one of those people that I believe this, I believe in it, and I think I should, that I carry the community on my shoulders from the way that I treat people, how I act, how I respond to situations, and the things I do, and even how I bounce back from uh, bad moments I might have or um, unfortunate circumstances or whatever. I feel the same way with the natural hair. I feel like I have a responsibility to present my natural hair in, a, in all of the beauty, as much beauty as I can. And I take it very, very serious. And I do that. I love having open dialogue about my hair with non-black folks. Uh, even some blacks that don't know, like, I'm thinking about it, but like, how do you like it? I love having those conversations because my genuine, authentic um, experience and so, um, yeah, and I love it. And I love what, you know, uh, I didn't know Ra it meant Rasta if you're in Jamaica. Had no clue. And I just started growing my dreads and I'm out there and I'm going, I went to Dun River Falls, the, the famous um, cave waterfall where you the, mm. the hike and you're passing through the building. Everybody's Rasta, Rasta. And at first, I, my name is Kenny, so I didn't, you know, I never turned. And my friend's like, hey, Bob, they holler at you. And I'm the only one that had dreads. So I'm like, I mean, yeah, I lost it. Also. I'm like, man, he must think I look like someone else that he knows from here, right? So <laughs> he said, no, I'm a tourist visiting, man, um, from America. I lost it, lost it. And then the guy said, hey, man, no, man, you lost it, man. I said, oh, okay, yeah. I said, what's up? <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and so I realized that. And then I started really studying the roster movement, and I fell in love with it. Hmm. Uh, that's who I am. I believe in one love. I believe in unity. I believe in peace. And I said, wow. And so I love symbolism. And so for me, dreads has now become that lifestyle for me as well. Yes, I'm still a Christian. Yes, I believe in, in majority of all the Christian principles. However, 
I do believe in, in a lot of the Rasta principles, they they align with a lot of Christian, the Christian principles about love and unity and harmony uh, and togetherness and uh, lifting up and building up the community and the village. And so uh, for me, that's why I say it's a lifestyle because it's, it's more than just a style of my hair and how I choose to wear it today. To me, it's, it's deeper than that. Thank you for listening to Boss Logs, where we redefine professionalism and prove that natural hair and professionalism do coexist. Now, if you liked today's episode, please go and subscribe to our show and to make sure you never miss an episode. You can watch and listen to us on Spotify, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and more by searching Boss Locks anywhere and everywhere. And if you want to learn more about today's guests and the awesome stuff they're doing, please visit our website to find links to their social media accounts, websites, and everything else they got going on. And while you're there, you know, poke around the side and just go see what we're up to. Our site is www.bosslocks.org. That is www.bosslocks.org. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next time.